Um, but today we're going to kind of do a standalone message, and, and it's going to be called Level Up. And so, um, so if you're taking notes this morning, you're going to write down Level Up. And here's the thing, I've got three Bible stories for you today. And we're going to just look at these three Bible stories and see uh, what level we're on within these Bible stories. Because each one of these Bible stories that we're going to tell today is going to give you an idea of a certain level uh, of your relationship with Christ. Not one level, is it doesn't mean that you're a better Christian than another person. Um, it's just going to show us kind of where we are, where we need to be and where we need to go. And so, um, so we're going to start off in Acts chapter 19. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. One of my absolute favorite stories. And it's probably because I'm kind of a mean, um, weird person. Uh, but, but this story, to me, strikes me as funny. Some of you guys are going to listen Listen to this story, and you're not going to think it's funny at all, but I think it's funny. So it's Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, and here's what it says. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. So, so right off the bat, you need to notice that Paul, is, uh, he's, a, he's a preacher, Paul's a missionary, and, and he's having these extraordinary miracles, things that people have never seen before. It's wild, it's crazy, and it's happening in the life of Paul. I don't know about you, but I would really love to get just a little bit of that, right? Like, wouldn't it be so cool if, um, if you had those kind of miracles happen in your life? And, and so here's what happened, though. In verse 13, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook... So these, these Jewish exorcists notice the things that are happening in Paul's life, and they want to participate in that. They want to be a part of that. Uh, but there was a problem. So it says this, uh, it says they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the name of, uh, by the name, uh, by Jesus, whom Paul preaches verse 14, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So in other words, these guys didn't know Jesus. They weren't Christians, but they heard Paul preaching they saw the miracles Paul was doing, and they noticed that Paul was using the name of Jesus. So they would go to try to exercise these demons, and when they would, they would say, um, you know, I compel you by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. So, so they don't even understand what they're doing. They're just throwing it out there. Let's just see what happens. So seven sons of Sceva were doing this. In verse 15, this is the part that I think is funny. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize. So in other words, I know who Jesus is, and I recognize the name Paul. I've heard this guy, but who are you? You know, it's got to be a bad feeling when you think you're real tough, and you've got the answers, and you walk up to somebody, and you begin to give it to them. They say, I don't even know who you are. When I was a kid, I was probably, I don't know, 12 years old. Uh, and, and, um, I had this, the Sasser boys, y'all don't know the Sassers, but I know the Sassers. And so the Sasser boys, there was these three boys and they were all within two years of each other. And I was friends, especially with the older two. And so, um, and they were roughnecks. I mean, the Sasser boys were always thick boys. They were always big and just, just, you know, kind of rough redneck kids. Well, they had this cousin that was kind of small, but he was older than us. And so one day me and the two Sasser boys and their cousin were playing football in the front yard. And uh, for some reason, there was one of those, you know, when you're playing tackle football as a kid um, in the front yard with no pads, uh, eventually someone's going to get hit hard and get mad, right? And so whenever, whenever I got hit hard and got mad, I stood up to the, to the little short cousin and I took the football and I threw it at him and I hit him. 
And I was like, that's enough, you know, and he was like, oh, that's it, it's on. And so we tied up in the front yard, and we're fighting, and I've got this kid, and I'm punching him in the face, and his nose is bleeding. I take his head, and I bang it in the ground, and I was like, that's it. And I get up, and I think, I have beat this kid. And then he looked at me, and he said, now it's your turn. And at that point, he proceeded to beat the tar out of me. It was a scary feeling to think that I just gave it everything I've got, and I've bloodied his nose. And then he looks at me and says, now it's your turn. So the seven sons of Sceva are in the same position. They've given it everything they've got. And that demon looked at them and said, I don't even know who you are. And so here's what happens next. Verse 16, the best scripture in the Bible, in my opinion. And the man in whom the evil spirit, uh, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Isn't that a funny story? Um, Anyways, maybe it's not funny to you. I think it's funny. Some versions of the Bible say naked and bleeding. And I can just imagine these seven boys going into this house thinking they're going to conquer this demon. And they come running out naked and bleeding. Um, so, so here's the thing. Here's the first level. These guys are going to introduce us to our first level today. So level one is the idea that they had knowledge without experience. They had knowledge but they didn't have any experience. They, they knew something about Jesus. They, they had this knowledge of who Jesus was. They had knowledge of who Paul was. But they had no experience with Christ whatsoever. And we find a lot of people in church today that have a lot of knowledge, but they've got no experience. They know a lot of stuff. They know some scriptures. They've got scriptures on their t-shirt and on their coffee mug. And, 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 and they, they go through the, the, the word of the day and they post it on their Facebook page. But the fact is they've got no experience with Christ. They know a lot of stuff, but they don't know him. And there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And we need to get to a place where we know Jesus. We need to get to a place where we have an experience with Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 8, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God wants you to experience him. That word taste and see means that that he wants us to experience who he is. Not just know about him. He wants you to know him. And if we get comfortable just knowing about him, if we get comfortable with, I went to church, I did my Sunday thing, I listened to the message, I took a couple of notes so that I can be smart and understand something, then we have missed it altogether. It's not about taking notes and listening to a message. It's not about singing a bunch of songs on a screen. It's about showing up on a Sunday morning and expecting to experience God in a real way. If all you're getting is a preacher, then I'm doing the wrong thing. I need you to get him. I don't need you to get me because I can't save you. I can't help you. Only Christ can. In John 1 39, Jesus says this, and this is something we say in our church a lot. He says, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. They stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. There was a bunch of men, some disciples that came up to Jesus and they said, we want to know what your life is like. And he said, come and see, come and see. He didn't say, follow me yet. He didn't say, you'll be a fisher of men yet. He didn't try to try to get them to to reach the world yet. He said, you need to just come experience my life. And I promise you, if you'll just come experience me, your life will be different. Something will change if you can just come and see. Taste and see. Experience. Don't just have knowledge, but you got to have experience. There's a version of the Bible called the Amplified Version. 
We don't use it a lot necessarily because it's crazy long, right? So I like to use uh, the New Living Translation or the English Standard Version. Those are the ones I use. Some of you grew up maybe reading the King James Version of the Bible. And, um, and, and so there's all these different versions. The Amplified Version kind of takes all of those and jams them together, right? So, so whereas uh, normally a scripture, one scripture would fit on the screen, I'm going to give you one scripture today. And it's going to take two screens to get there. It's, it's that long. Uh, but what it does is it helps you understand all the wording that's involved. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3. So I'm, I'm setting you up. In case you're on your phone today and you look up Ephesians 3, it is not going to look like this unless you have the Amplified. Here's what it says. And that you may come to know practically through personal what? experience the love of Christ, which, uh, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience that you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your life, completely filled and flooded with God himself. What do I want for you today? Listen, the first level that I want you to get to today is I want you to get out of just having head knowledge of who God is. And I want you to get to a place where you have experiential knowledge, a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Why? Because I want you to have the fullness of God, right? I want you to experience God's presence in your life completely filled and flooded. I want you to have all that you can get of who God is. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my life. So the first level is experience over knowledge. Well, let's go to the second story. So like I said, we only got three stories today, so it may not be long. We'll see. Mark chapter 9. Now to give you some some background, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus has gone up on this mountain to to pray, and he took uh, Peter and, and James and John with him. They go up on this mountain, and when they get up on the mountain, they have an incredible experience. The Bible says that, that, uh, that light began to shine, that Jesus began to glow, that Moses and Elijah show up on the scene, and, and, and then God begins to speak audibly, and, and so they're having this incredible experience. And Peter says, we're not getting into this because it's not really in my notes, but Peter says, hey man, let's, just, let's start building a tabernacle. Like, like, let's build a house and just stay here. If we can just stay in the experience, that's what I want to do. Let's stay in the experience. And, and, and immediately as he's saying it, the Bible says that God cuts him off by speaking. In other words, God's like, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Just shut up. Which is a common theme in Peter's life. If you ever read the Bible, you're going to find out that Peter is constantly being told to shut up. And so, um, so Peter has this. So they come down off the mountain. Great experience, but the experience is over. They come down off the mountain. When they come down off the mountain, there's this big argument happening. And there's a, there's a man whose son um, is being afflicted by a spirit. And, and he's, taking, he's taking the son to the disciples, and the disciples can't heal him. And so there's this big argument. And so here's what it says. Jesus is like, what's going on? And in verse 17 of Mark 9, it says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Jesus says this, and and, and this is huge. If you're underlining in your Bible today, I want you to underline this. It says, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. 
verse 20 says, uh, and we'll come back to that faithless part. Uh, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, he immediately convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled around and foamed at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has it been happening? He said, it's from childhood. Sorry, I'm skimming on to the good parts here. Um, and he says, often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. So it's a, it's very suicidal kind of spirit. But, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, right? Like, if? What are you talking about, if? Of course I can. And, and Jesus says this. He says, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, uh, a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. Everybody thought he was dead. Verse 27. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. This is getting to the good part right here. Verse 28 and 29. And when he had entered the house, so in other words, Jesus leaves, they go to a house, and, and, and now that they're out of sight of the crowd, the disciples come up to him because the disciples are shook, right? They're messed up. They said, why could we not cast it out? In verse 29, this is huge, and he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything except prayer. Some versions say prayer and fasting. Some early manuscripts say prayer and fasting. And so one of the things Jesus notices here is he says, listen, there's some things that can't come out except by prayer. And I want to explain one little thing. When I was looking up, I know it sounds stupid that I look up certain words. Like you would think prayer is prayer is prayer. But when I looked up the word prayer in the Greek, where it's used right here, it means an exchange. It means an exchange. And I started thinking about that word exchange and, and, and it brought me to my next point. And my next point is this. The next level is they had an experience without an exchange. Prayer and fasting is an exchange. Prayer and fasting is an exchange because what that means is it's a relationship where it's give and take. It's a relationship where, where multiple things are happening. I, I want you to, to think about if you had a relationship with somebody, let's say with your spouse, and the only time you had any kind of relationship, any kind of conversation, any kind of, of life together with your spouse was in a moment of intimacy, a, a moment of, 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 of experience, something big, but then all the rest of the days you didn't have any any contact with them. You wouldn't stay married long because what you have is lust. It's not love. Lust and love look very similar, except love is self-sacrificing. Love is giving. Lust is only taking, right? And and so if only relationship you have with your spouse is is a relationship of just intimacy, that is a relationship of lust, not love. And so it's important to see when our relationship with God, we can't have a relationship that's built only on experiences. We just took the kids to camp. While the kids were at camp, they had an incredible experience with God. But listen, camp's over now. They don't have a a good speaker getting up, talking to them. They don't have the, the full big old worship band from all across the state getting up singing to them every morning, every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday. They, they don't have a group of teenagers around them every single day going to church with them and saying, hey, let's go worship God, let's go worship, let's go pray. They don't have that. So they don't have the experience, the big experience anymore. So now what are they going to do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? There's got to be some kind of exchange. There's got to be something different. Peter said, let's build a, a house here for Moses and Elijah. And God says, you don't know what you're talking about. What you want is you want the big experience. 
but the big experience is not a reality for every single day. Sunday morning, we do this every, every week because we come into church on a Sunday morning and we serve God on a Sunday morning and we've got the band and we've got the preacher and we've got the lights and we've got the sound and we've got the videos and we've got the big experience and it's easy to serve God in the big experience. But what are you going to do on Monday? What are you going to do on Thursday when all of that experience has worn off and and your spouse is getting on your nerves and the people at work are bothering you and your kids keep talking to you and somebody has messed up and they hurt your feelings? What are you going to do on Thursday when you don't have the big experience anymore? And what happens here is Jesus says, you faithless generation. Whenever I used to read that, I used to think what he's saying is you don't have any faith. But then whenever I started studying, I realized that the word faith also means faithful or fidelity. And what he's saying is you don't have any faith. You're not faithful. You're not faithful. You're all about the big experience. You're not about the everyday exchange between me and God. Every day I'm coming to God. And Jesus says, that, what does he say? The, uh, James 4 says, draw near to God and I will draw near to you. There's an exchange happening every day. What is prayer and fasting? Prayer and fasting is an exchange that I'm having with God. I need to have that exchange every day. Where I go to God every day and I'm allowing him to speak into my life and I'm speaking back to him. Where I'm taking away something, let's say fasting. I begin to take away things that are important. Why? So that I can receive more from God. I begin to lay stuff down. Jesus says, bring me your burdens. Let's have an exchange. He says, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. You bring me your problems and your issues and I'll give you peace. Jesus says there's there's an exchange and it's an everyday exchange. So when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's not saying, hey, listen, your problem is not um, not prayer in general. Like you didn't just come and pray today. The problem is you're not praying every day. You're not seeking every day. You're not drawing near every day. Like there should be this place where you're having a relationship with me every day. My relationship with my wife is not built on intimacy. My relationship with my wife is built on every single day of, yes, I will fold the clothes or I will clean the dishes or I will, you know, mow the grass. These are the things that nobody wants to do in life. These are the little disciplines that nobody wants to do. But listen, it's the things I need to do. Why? Because I know my wife likes those things. And that's why I clean the kitchen every single night. Every so often. She cleaned the kitchen last night for the first time in like three weeks. So, um, Here's the thing. Don't just settle for the big experience. Don't just settle for the big experience. I, I tell people when I, do, when I do marriage counseling or premarital counseling, I tell them all the time, I said, everything I tell you in this premarital counseling, you're not going to listen to me. And you're not going to do any of it. And I'm like, I'm doing this because I feel like I have to do this because I feel like I need, I've got an obligation to give you information. I said, but I know you're not going to do it because all you're thinking about is the wedding. But all I'm trying to get you to think about is the marriage. There's a difference between the wedding and the marriage. The marriage is a lot of hard work. The wedding is hard work for the woman. The guy just shows up like that's our one job is just be there, right? But all we think about is the wedding. Now, I will say, whenever I talk to Josh and Kaylee, 
They're like the first people I ever did marriage counseling with, and they were taking like intense notes to the point when I had a second meeting with them, they were like, all right, now last week you talked about this, and I was like, I did what? You know? So they were very, and they are the only people that ever understood. Um, but, but here's the thing. We focus on the big event. We put, focus on the big experience, and we forget about the exchange, the daily exchange that needs to happen. I'm reading a book right now. My wife turned me on to it, and it's, it's pretty good. But in the book that this guy is talking about, um, he, he mentions this, this phrase, and it just, it just clung to me. Perry told me about it. She was reading it first. She told me about it. And then when I read it, it just clung to me. And, and he says this. He says, I had been a Christian for 20 years. He said, but in reality, I was not a 20-year-old Christian. I was a one-year Christian 20 times. I was a one-year Christian 20 times. What happened? He just went from experience to experience. If our life is from summer camp to summer camp, if every summer camp, that's whenever we only have an experience with God, then we're missing something. If our only experience is from Sunday to Sunday, we're missing something. Like, there's got to be something in between, and that's that exchange. Um, Really quickly, let me read one more uh, passage, and then we'll get to the last story. Acts chapter 2, this is the birth of the early church. So in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we have the Holy Spirit uh, show up for the first time in, in, in the sense of baptizing the, the, the disciples. Um, and so we have that happen. And from that, all the disciples, the Bible says, are, are praising God, worshiping God in, in other languages. And the people that were in the crowd at the time, they hear the other languages. And so they begin to ask questions. They think they're all drunk. Peter stands up, gives his first sermon ever. And as Peter begins to give his sermon, all of a sudden people's hearts and lives are transformed. Skip down to verse 37. So we're talking about an experience here. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 And it says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Think about this for a second. Peter preaches one message and 3,000 people not only get saved, but get baptized. Think about the magnitude of that. 3,000, we've got like 100 people here. 3,000 people all saying we want to get baptized right now. We want to be born again right now. Can, can you understand with me for a second? That is an incredible experience. I was just at a camp with 650 students, and it was an incredible experience. Anytime we had two or 300 of them rush to the altar at one time saying, I want more of God, or I want to get saved, or whatever it was they were going down for. That was an incredible experience. I can't even imagine 3,000 people getting baptized, getting, getting born again. Incredible experience. But verse 42 is the part that I really want to hone in on today. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and of prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Another good experience. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as they had any need. And listen to this, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple, uh, breaking uh, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number uh, day by day who were being saved. What's the point? They had an incredible experience, but they didn't stop there. 
they decided there has to be something more. There was a day-by-day exchange with God. There was a day-by-day, I'm going to listen to the apostles' teaching. I'm going to follow what we're doing. I'm going to, I'm going to um, go to temple. I'm going to go to, uh, they, they had homes. I'm going to go to small groups. I'm going to have a relationship with people. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God day-by-day. We can't get caught up in the Sunday only. It's got to be day-by-day. So level one is to understand that I need an experience more than I need knowledge. Level two is once I've had that experience, there's got to be some kind of daily exchange going on in my life. So let's go to the third and final story. Acts chapter three, verses one through 10. So this is right after all that other stuff was happening. So we already understand that the disciples, they, they already have this day-to-day thing going on. So now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They're doing their daily exchange. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go seek God. And a man lame from birth was being carried, um, whom they laid uh, laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. Alms is money, right? So he's asking for money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, this is big here. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as a one who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So level number three, Peter and John had an experience and they had an exchange, but they needed an encounter. They needed an encounter. I looked up the word encounter. The word encounter means this, to contend with something or to have conflict with something. To contend with something or have conflict with something. Peter said this. He said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. In other words, it wasn't enough that Peter got something from God. It wasn't enough that he had an experience with Christ. It wasn't enough that he had a daily exchange with Christ. Now he is full. Just like Paul said, I want you to be full and flooded with the presence of God. So he's full and he's flooded, but now he has to have an encounter of place to release that. He's got to have an outlet for what God's put into him. You see, the Bible says this, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will be in you, but he says the Holy Spirit will be like a river of living water flowing out of you. God doesn't give you his presence for you to hoard it. He gives you his presence for you to give it away. He gives you that exchange, that that moment, that experience, so you can give it away. So you students that went to camp, what you experienced at camp wasn't just for you to have a good fuzzy feeling. It was so that you can come back and go to your family and go to your school and give that same experience to someone else. And it starts to cycle over. So this dude that's sitting by the gate, he ain't got nothing. He's crippled. He's begging for money. And all of a sudden, Peter and James, or Peter and John, they've already had their experience. They've already had their exchange. And now they're going to have their encounter. They come encounter. The Bible says this, that we are the light of the world. 
Peter and John, they are light. They've got light in them. And they're going out looking for darkness to shine light into. And when they do, what happens? That guy has an experience. And the cycle starts over. It starts over. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's no options here. Paul says... You were created with a purpose. You were created to do good works. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In other words, he's saying this, We've got it. We can't just have knowledge about about what God's put inside of us. We've got to be able to give it out. There's got to be something in you to give out. That's what the experience and the exchange are for. But then you've got to have a place to give it out. You've got to have an opportunity, an outlet to give away what God's put inside of you. There's a there's a, a, a big giant lake in Israel called the Dead Sea, right? You've heard of the Dead Sea. Like you see pictures of it. It's full of salt. Like you can go out there. I can't float to save my life. I cannot float to save my life. The only thing that floats on me is my, my head. And I think it's because I've got so many brains. It just floats because brains are fat, right? And so, so my head floats, my legs, and everything else goes straight down. Every single time. Makes me mad. Perry's like, all you got to do is just hold your breath and just lay back and relax. And I'll hold my breath and I'll lay back and relax. And then I drown every single time. But they say in the Dead Sea, you can float, man. Anybody can float in the Dead Sea. But nothing lives in the Dead Sea. It's completely dead. But here's the ironic thing, is it's got a life-giving river that flows into it. So you would think, if there's life-giving water flowing into something, it should have life. But it doesn't because it has no outlet on the other side. And so it collects Yes, it collects the life-giving water, but it collects all the salt and it collects all the, uh, all the rain. It collects everything, but never gives anything out. And part of what we do sometimes, um, I, I've, been in, I've been in churches before, I've been in services before where everything was great and we had incredible experiences with Christ. We had incredible experiences where you're seeing people get healed and you're seeing people get set free and you're seeing people get born again. The problem was it wasn't lasting because nobody ever left to do anything with it. They only wanted the experience over and over and over for themselves. I want to feel good instead of giving it away. Nobody wanted the daily exchange. They wanted as long as as long as Pastor Jonathan is singing worship songs, I'm good. They didn't want to take the time to do it on their own. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, this is the last thing Jesus says before he leaves. So it needs to be something we pay attention to, right? If Jesus said it, A, if he says it, pay attention. If it's the last thing he says, you really need to pay attention. So here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Notice that he doesn't say it would be a good idea if you guys would be a witness. Notice he doesn't say, you know what might happen? You might get power from the Holy Spirit. Never says that. 
I looked up different translations. I looked up the Greek. I looked it all up. And it never says that it's an option. It only says a commandment. You will. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. So in other words, we are commanded to do what? We are commanded to be a witness, to be an outlet for what he's already given us. A couple of little word lessons here. Number one, the first will uh, that he says when he says you will receive, that, that word receive there uh, means to aggressively take hold of. To aggressively take hold of. In other words, what we do sometimes is we sit around and we just think by osmosis that God's going to put his power in our life. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we aggressively take hold of it. We pursue what God has for us. The other thing it says in there is it says when it, when it says you will be my witnesses, that will be uh, literally is, is an identity word. It means to exist or it's the same word, place where it says I am. In other words, uh, it's the same wording that was used when Jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, what he's saying is you're, whenever you will receive the power that you're, that you're pursuing... When you, when you receive the, the experience and then you receive the, you go through the daily exchange and, and you allow the Holy Spirit to come upon your life because you're pursuing it, what's going to happen? You will receive power, but that power is going to change your identity. It's going to change your identity. When Jay comes uh, around me or he comes to the gym, I always look at Jay and I, I, I often say, what's up, Iron Man? Because Jay has run a couple of Ironman races, right? Y'all don't know who Jay is. He's over here. He's in the dark. You can't see him. He's real. I promise he's real. Jay's run some Ironman races. And so, so now with me, part of his identity is, is in Ironman, right? But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it changes your identity. Kevin's over here. He's a, he's a real estate agent. Part of his identity is real estate. Right. My dad's over here. He's a he's a a preacher. Part of his identity is in preaching. But but listen, our identity can't be caught up in just what we do. It can't be caught up in who our last name is, what our last name is. Our identity, Jesus says, needs to be caught up in what God wants to do through you. Here's another cool little word lesson. And I promise I'll be done. The word witness there. Comes from the same root word as the word martyr. So when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses, he's not just talking about people that are willing to talk about him. He's talking about people that are willing to die for him. To be a martyr means to be poured out. Paul said uh, when he was writing to Timothy, he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Everything I've got is being poured out for the sake of Christ. So we're talking about different levels today. Level one is we got to get get we got to get past knowledge. Knowledge isn't even a level. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna just bump that down. Knowledge isn't even a level because the Bible says even the devils know they know who God is. They the devils know who Jesus is, and we already read that one scripture that said that. So knowledge isn't even worth anything. Let's just throw that one out. First level is a level experience, and some of us today need an experience with Jesus Christ. Some of you have come from places that were dead and dry. You've come from places where you've, you've never felt the presence of God. And I know we don't live according to our feelings, but listen, the, the God of the universe that created your feelings can still operate within those feelings. 
And there are times when we need to just experience God in a real way. Some of you have had an experience with God. You guys at camp, y'all had an experience with God. We've had this experience, but now some of us, we, we find ourselves living from experience to experience, and that's the only place we find life. And Jesus says it's got to be a daily walk. He says, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross daily. And so for some of us, we need to step up to that next level of saying, God, I need that daily exchange with you. Every day I'm talking to you. Every day I'm receiving from you. Every day I'm laying down part of my life. And every day you're giving me all of your life. And some of us are doing, doing that very well. We're, we're, we've, we've gone through both of those levels. But some of us need to find a place where we are laying down everything we've got. We are pouring everything out that we're saying, God, today I need an encounter. I need to encounter the darkness I need to encounter sickness and pain and hopelessness and brokenness. I need to find somebody that needs the life of Jesus Christ. I need to find somebody that needs peace and hope. I need to find somebody that I can tell them about you. That I can pour out everything I've got. That's where some of us are sitting this morning. Why don't you stand up with me today? Just like every Sunday, we're going to have... A team of people, they're going to come down front. They want to pray with you today. These people are safe. Uh, they're, they're people that we love and we, we appreciate and we know we'll do a great job. But, but all we want to do today is give you an opportunity. If you say today, I need to level up. I need to level up. I need something to change in me today. I need to level up. If that's you this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to pray. And these people want to pray with you. They want to pray with you today. So why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Nobody looking around and talking. Nobody leaving just yet. We've got plenty of time. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room. We invite you into our lives. I just ask that you speak to our hearts. The Bible says, God, that, that, that we can pray, uh, as in the Psalms, we can pray for you to seek us, search our hearts, and see if there's anything in us that's not right. And so, God, today, I just pray that you would search our hearts in this room right now. And, God, whatever it is that's going on in our lives, if we're not serving you today, if we're not living for you today, maybe today we're, we're in a place of knowledge, but we're not in a place of experience. And we need an experience with Christ. Maybe we've never had that daily exchange and we need that. And so we want someone to pray with us about that. Maybe today we need to find a place where we can have an encounter with the darkness and we need to give out what you've put in. Whatever the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart today, maybe, maybe you've got some family issues, maybe you've got some financial troubles you're going through, maybe there's something going on at your work today, and you're saying, Gabriel, I just need somebody to pray with me today about this topic. Listen, we've got some people down here today that have experienced Christ. They've experienced the Holy Spirit in a real way. They've, they've had a daily um, exchange with Him. And here's what they need to do today. They need to have an encounter with you. They need to give out what God's put in. And so if you need anything this morning, Pastor Jonathan's going to sing one more time. And as he sings, before we dismiss, I want you to slip out of your seat and let somebody pray with you today. Go ahead, Pastor Jonathan.